0: Hey y'all, this is Jacqueline Tecarante with JMT Media and we are here with Season 2, Episode 2, talking to a new friend uh, literally across the country. Um, Many of you know that Season 1, we really focused on small businesses and entrepreneurs during the height of the pandemic and now Season 2, We're still focusing on small businesses and entrepreneurs, but I'm taking it a whole layer step further. I'm talking to small businesses across the country, looking at what they're learning to grow their business, talking about generational wealth, talking about finances, all the things that are important to us to grow our business to the next level and to take us out of our comfort zone. So, our guest for this episode, um, and if you're listening to iTunes, Spotify, make sure that you share, subscribe, make sure you tell all your friends how wonderful we are because we got created, we must act accordingly. So, I'm going to bring in my dear new friend, Judy Maniganandis. How are you, my dear? Yay, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do me a favor. Let's talk to me and talk to the folks back home about what your business does, because it's so unique. Um, and I'm so grateful that we were able to connect with you when you're out over in California. So talk to us a little bit about your business.
1: Well, there's two components of our business. Mannequin Madness encompasses a lot of things. Number one, we sell new mannequins that we get from various manufacturers all over the country so we can have a wide variety of different styles of mannequins. But our really claim to fame is that we recycle mannequins for retail stores when they close or remodel to keep them from throwing those mannequins in the landfill. We acquire them and then we resell them at deeply discounted prices. So I love the idea that it's giving something that would have gone to the landfill a new life. I really feel from that standpoint, we're kind of like an environmental social justice in that response because so many times it's black and brown communities that are most affected by environmental pollution. So I'm grateful that I can make a difference and then allow someone to buy a man at a much cheaper price than they may be able to buy brand new. That's
0: awesome. Now, when you go to your websites and we'll put up all the information when the episode airs, when you go to your website, you talk about the history and the journey of where you're at as an entrepreneur. And a lot of times when I talk to people, they, they see like the surface right. level of entrepreneurship. They see the success. They see the, oh, things look fine. I'm like, you have no idea that there are nights that you are up till 2 a.m. And then you got to get back up at 5 a.m. because people are in different time zones. So can you talk to us and walk us through a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey going from 50 mannequins to like 500 mannequins?
1: Yeah. Well, I want to say that's why it's so important that you really love what you're doing because I had tried a business before that I thought was a quick way to make money. I didn't really like what I was doing. I'm crazy about mannequins. So when I have to stay up late at night, it doesn't feel the same way because I so enjoy it. It's a crazy niche, but it's my crazy niche. So this started off as like a side hustle. I was buying a mannequin one day for an art project, found out that the uh, seller was closing down his mannequin rental business. I didn't know there was such a thing as a mannequin rental business. I had never even worked in retail, but I thought, Hmm, There's going to be no place in the Bay Area to rent a mannequin. And the Bay Area is such a creative kind of place. I figured there should be some place. Fortunately, I only had a week to make my decision because I probably would have talked myself out of it. You know, sometimes our gut tells us one thing. And I say, go with your gut. But then the head and the naysayers come in and tell you something else. Like, maybe there's a reason there's nobody else doing mannequins. Why bother? But because I was doing it as a side hustle versus trying to do it full time. So I had a chance to just kind of test the waters a little bit. And I was doing okay with the rental business, and then 9-11 happened, and I lost my day job. And that was a big turning point. It was a fearful time, not unlike now, right, where people are in transition. And I knew I wanted to spend my time living more joyfully and fearlessly than fearful. So even though I didn't know a lot about the mannequins, I knew I liked it. And my learning curve was steep. Fortunately, there's so many resources online between, you know, webinars. I signed up for every possible class I could. Granted, mannequins is a unique niche, but running the business is universal no matter what you're doing. That's That's right. right. And even though I ran it out of my home for the longest time, longer than I should have, I've now (laughs) moved to this is my second warehouse that I've been. So I just say have big dreams, but take small steps along the way.
0: That's amazing. I think. A lot of times, um, even myself, I've been in business six years and I'm already like itching to like buy my first building. And I'm like, wait, er, there's so many other things that go along with that. Um, looking at credit, looking at finances, understanding truly financial literacy. What does that mean? Absolutely. Um, because same like thing when
1: they were with talking the people, about, same thing with with employees, when yeah. I have my mannequins, I don't have to worry about that. When I had to start hiring staff people that was a whole other learning curve. I, I did contractors for as long as I could, but it came a point in which I had to have employees. So yeah, all these things are steps along the way. That's why it's so important that you enjoy the core part of your business. There's so many other parts of the business that you may not necessarily enjoy, but have to be done, or you have to at least be, be able to uh, speak intelligently on it. I'm not a, an accountant or a bookkeeper, but I at least can follow along with some of the things that my bookkeeper needs to do.
0: Absolutely. I think... Um... You know, um, we were just talking about it. my mom, you know, single mom, three kids until my stepfather came around. But we were raised in our households that if you do not have the funding, you do not take out a credit card. You do not take out a loan. What? What do you mean? You want to take out a business loan? And so, really changing that mindset so that way I can grow my business exactly. to a level of beyond basic comforts. Exactly. Um, and so, and it's a process. It's definitely a process.
1: And things are changing all the time. I mean, I also have another business. I'm an Airbnb host now. 15 years ago, that wasn't something that was going to be yeah. even possible, right? But technology has changed, attitudes have changed to make the whole sharing economy something that you can do. So where we didn't grow up with that, this is something that you have to adapt to the newest changes in technology and culture and lifestyle. What
0: it made you you briefly mentioned, um, and I think it's also important when we talk about generational wealth, you know, you talk about different streams of income and being prepared. You had mentioned a book that you read. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and how that's kind of steered and um, supported you to navigate to this next level?
1: I, I consider the book a classic. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read this over 20 years ago. And one of the key lines he said in there, which is why I even got the mannequin business, he says, most people either don't recognize a good opportunity when they see it, or they're too afraid to take a chance. I had normally been too afraid to take a chance. So I took the chance, but he always talks about having multiple revenue streams because there's always going to be something that's going really popping at one time Mm -hmm. and something's not. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to really spread yourself so thin that you have so many things that you can't manage. But so, for example, within mannequins, I rent mannequins. That's one revenue stream. I sell new mannequins, another revenue stream. I sell used mannequins. Once again, each appeal to a different customer base. Then within our warehouse, we have a photo studio that allows people to come in, use our mannequins to photograph their wares that they're going to sell online. Mm-hmm. That's another revenue stream, but all within the umbrella of mannequins. It's not awesome. as if, okay, I'm selling mannequins and I'm also running a clothing line over here. That may be too big a jump. Maybe not necessarily for everybody, but I'm just letting people know that sometimes within your existing business, we also do a lot of DIY projects with mannequins. So we started offering Zoom classes where people can learn how to make these things. So that's what I mean about multiple revenue streams within your own business. Now, the Airbnb is an, an additional revenue stream, but because I already had an apartment complex. I already was renting. That was something I was familiar with. So it's just allowing yourself to see, is there another way that I can squeeze a little bit? I love (laughs) it. I love it. Judy, how did you? Because I want to say, but last year, all my revenue streams dried up. 2020 was a deal breaker year. Fortunately, because I have an online business as well as an in-person business, that kept me going. Because in California, we were shut down a lot as a non-essential business. Other parts of the country weren't so closed down. So my website allowed me to continue to selling. But like I said, sometimes even multiple revenue streams doesn't mean that, you know, you're always going to be sitting as a fat cat. But it does (laughs) keep going under.
0: That is the best way. And I think it's so appropriate you know, a couple of weeks back, um, Facebook and Instagram went down for about six hours and I saw so many business. Here's the interesting part. I saw so many businesses after, um, Facebook came back on and they were like, Oh my gosh, I had no way to communicate with my clients. Yes. I had no way to communicate. And I saw an opportunity. So literally every single email that I saw on a thread of people saying, I couldn't reach out to my XYZ. We literally at JMT Media were like, hi, the system was shut down. This is how we can help you maintain that engagement when that little social media aspect of your business goes down. There are other ways. Texting campaigns, email marketing, Absolutely. even old school phone calls. I know, remember that? And yeah, yeah. Oh, I. It's crazy because a lot of people have asked, Jacqueline, how is your business successful? I'm like. Oh, I'm old school. I pick up the phone and call people um, because that's just how I was raised. Everything is also based off of relationships, um, not necessarily just transactional services.
1: Absolutely. So well, just like we talked about multiple revenue streams, there are yeah. multiple communication streams, as you said. That's right. And you're just relying on one and that one goes down. I had a case once. I have 49,000 followers on Pinterest. One day they closed my account because I had a picture of a mannequin that was nude and they thought that I was promoting pornography. So all of a sudden, overnight, I lost 49,000 followers. Wow. So fortunately, you know, it went back up. But I mean, I had some other means to contact my customers. So That's amazing. No, you don't want to just rely on one thing. Something certainly can be the dominant, but you always want to have plan A, B, and, uh, B C, and D.
0: That's right. That's right. Let me ask you a couple of questions about, you know, I, I mentioned to you that I'm on the board, one of the founding members for the Minority Women Business Association of Staten Island. And I think it's always important to give back because not everybody, even though I came through the rough And the trenches myself, I still feel that it's important for me to look back and give back to make sure that people have resources. And resources doesn't necessarily mean financial resources. I'm talking about here's some templates of how to get a contract. Here's some templates of how to respond to a a city RFP or this is a basic um, skeleton outline of a social media campaign. Can you talk a little bit about a little bit about how you suggest to give back and the ways that maybe you give
1: back okay a couple of things first of all last year some people were asking on our next door app after George Floyd what are some black owned businesses that i could support and many times they didn't know more than just a, a handful so I put together a website with some other friends that listed every Black-owned businesses from San Jose up to Napa, and we include a whole range, not just the more stereotypical ones of restaurant and hair and beauty, but there's a woman who has a stained glass business. She's like the only Black person in the country that does that. There wow. are people who do a lot of services. There are people who um, you know, do handyman repair kind of things. We wanted to just expand the narrative of what a Black-owned business is. Yeah. So putting that website together was huge. Along with that, we realized, there are a lot of grants out. I have seen more grants for Black-owned businesses than I have ever seen of before. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about those long, arduous RFP grants or a grant for a nonprofit that are very difficult. And I have won probably close to $500,000 worth of grant money over a period of time. Sometimes <laughs> the grant's in the form of hard cold cash. Sometimes it's in-kind. Comcast has something where you get like a year's worth of Wi-Fi and computers. Other times I've won airline tickets. I always encourage people to apply for grants. So I started adding on our website, not the mannequin website, but the Black business website, a portal where Black businesses can find out what kind of grants are available. And I am putting together a little tip sheet, I'm giving people tips how to win grants. Because a lot of times people don't know, they're intimidated by the process. And right. I have found a way to streamline the process. And also, always wanting to talk to people here, because I'm letting people know if it's possible for me, uh, who was a bootstrap venture that I started late in life. I was 45 when I started this. At 60, I feel like there's no stopping me. And so many people at 60 are feeling like time is over. I'm like, no. Yourself, you do
0: not look 60, ma'am. I'm
1: 64. <laughs> the mannequins keep me young. What I was gonna say, I'd like to share my story because I know a lot of people sometimes get intimidated by the idea of calling themselves an entrepreneur because most of the time we don't see anybody that looks like us on Entrepreneur Magazine or Forbes Magazine. It took me a long time for me to embrace that I was an entrepreneur. I just thought, oh, I've got this little hobby. And when you hold it as a hobby, it stays as a hobby. A hobby. When I right. see it as something different, it shifts around me as well. Exactly. That besides, Like I said, the difference I'm making environmentally, I'm, I employ four people and I employ four independent contractors. That's revenue that I am generating. Those are lives that I'm touching. That's yeah. being an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you have to be Facebook to be an entrepreneur. That's so that's right. why I like to show other people, hey, there's all different kinds of ways that if I can take this crazy little niche called mannequins and make something, <laughs> you can do something too.
0: I love it! Oh my gosh, Judy. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put all the links down below, um, so folks can follow you. They can follow your website, also the other websites specifically for black-owned businesses. Yes, I'll give you that one. I think that's amazing what you what you did. You know, during the pandemic, we created because a lot of people were like, "How do I sustain myself? I'm I'm at home. We can't really go out. We're kind of in a lockdown." What do we do? And so we created this six-week step-by-step guide. Um, it was the New York City reboot package okay. of how to reboot your business, right? How to give it a little fresh zest. Yes. And um, but people don't realize that takes work, right? Some planning, resources, strategy, the whole thing with it. Um, but we do it for the love of our of our community yeah. and the passion that we have to make sure that. Everybody is successful or at least has the tools to be successful. Exactly.
1: Because so many times when you're running a small business, you don't often get a chance to sometimes go outside of that. And yeah. I know how overwhelming it can be. So now that I'm at my at a certain place in my business where I, I have more resources to get back, I'm only open three, three days a week. And that's another thing. I don't come in every day. The rest of the time, I have a much more flexible. I want a lifestyle business. Everyone has yeah. something different. I want to be able to have some more personal time as well as have my office hours. So
0: it's amazing, amazing. Judy, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. And for those of you folks that are watching back home, make sure to tune in and continue to watch us on season two of JMT Media, the podcast, where we interview passionate people and just really great community leaders. So thank you so much, Judy, and just stay tuned, y'all.